Well, good afternoon, everybody. Um, hey, I didn't mention this, but that song that we just did with the Motion song, that was a Junior original. And uh, we're just so thankful to you, Junior, for you participating. And then also, I just wanted to give a quick shout out. I know we've mentioned Ellie and Sam dancing for us, as well as Pastor Mark running into the closet for the sermon today, uh, as well as <laughs> Kwame, you know, uh, dancing and Debbie's been dancing. But I want to give a shout out to Kathy. Kathy's been <laughs> with the kids every time, and it's been absolutely beautiful and wonderful. Hi, everybody. Um, if you're new, my name's Pastor Kevin. This is Pastor Danielle. We have Sydney and Pastor Pastor Mark and Sydney <laughs> uh, with us today. So glad you're here. And we are live, and we're going to be uh, doing our next installment of the um, When a Child Asks series. Waka. And so Waka, what Danielle likes to call Waka. Uh, so we're going to be taking questions from you. Uh, through the YouTube comments, so please make sure you do that. You can, of course, text. I got my cell number up there. But before we do, we need to do a little bit of uh, family uh, uh, stuff here. Pastor Marcus Randolph uh, it was scheduled to actually give this message this week, but there uh, was unfortunately a death in the family with his wife, uh, Kendra. And so before we started uh, to... Uh, before we started with the message, we wanted to just take a f moment to acknowledge and recognize. All right, so I just wanted to let you know that Kendra's mother, Eunice Hatley, um, passed away this last Wednesday in Livermore. And um, she's remembered by all of us here at Spark Church, um, particularly because of our relationship with her daughter, Kendra, and um, her son-in-law, Marcus and also um, her husband, Ron, who has joined us on some worship opportunities, um, Pastor Ron Hatley, um, as well as uh, Kendra's brother, Shelby, and all of her extended family. We wanted to let you all know that we are standing with you um, and we mourn with you. And we're so sorry for your loss. So, I'm sorry, I'm just gonna cry. So uh, Eunice, such a gift to me personally and having been able to get to know her and Pastor Ron and the family for years and also um, my sister Kendra and just we grieve with you and we also are um, grateful that Eunice is no longer suffering and that she has been welcomed in the arms of our Savior Jesus who has said, come my love, my lovely one, come away with me. The winter is past, the rain is over and gone, and the cooing of the turtle dove is heard in the land. Come my love, my lovely one, come with me. So we are grateful for a life so beautifully well lived um, by Eunice Francisco Hatley. And we are grateful for her family and, um, and all the ways in which her legacy and her memory will continue to live on um, in this world. And we're grateful that we pray and hope for the day we'll be reunited again um, with Jesus in the kingdom to come. So thank you for continuing to lift up Kendra and her family um, in your prayers um, as they navigate um, this next week of, uh, of remembering Eunice and also um, with burial this week. If you have any questions about the ceremony or would like to um, be able to um, make a personal uh, remembrance or any of that, please just contact Pastor Kevin or myself and we'd be happy to connect you with the details for um, live streaming and, and all of those options this week. So thank you again for praying with our sister Kendra and brother Pastor Marcus. Yeah, and just lead us in a quick prayer for the family and then we'll yes. continue on. Jesus, we um, mourn with those who mourn and we pray right now that you would comfort Kendra, Marcus, and um, and Kendra's father, Ron, Pastor Ron, and, and her brother, Shelby, and all of the extended family, and Eunice's sisters, and siblings, and um, cousins, and nieces, and nephews, and all who loved her so well, um, a light that shone so bright in this world for you, Jesus. We pray that you would um, make her memory a blessing amongst us and that we would continue to lift up um, the whole family um, to you, that you would wrap us all up in your comforting and loving arms um, and bring about um, hope in the midst of our grief. We thank you for the good news that she has had victory over death in you, Jesus, and that she is um, no longer suffering, but is with you in glory. And we are grateful and look forward to the day when we will be with her again. We pray for continued um, just um, your presence with us, Jesus, as we continue to walk this road together. And we ask that you'd bind us all closer together as you bind us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Danielle. And uh, to 
Um, Kendra, Pastor Marcus, we love you terribly. Thank you for being part of our family and we mourn with you. Um, and thank you to those of you who are commenting on YouTube as well. We, we so appreciate this family. Okay, we're going to do our best to transition from that. We are in the middle of a series called Walk As We Mentioned Before, When a Child Asks. And today we're going to be covering the question, do I have to tell people about Jesus? And um, one of the things that I've appreciated about um, this team that we have here is there's a pastoral care uh, response that many of us have towards questions like this. And I want to start with Pastor Mark and uh, asking the question, uh, because I think I've, I've heard from you, Pastor Mark, and many others. Um, when somebody asks you a question, there's always something else that you want to know. And I kind of wanted to know, how do you approach questions like this and rather I, I know you wouldn't just give a straight well here yes or no answer done there's always more that you want to know so I'm kind of curious how you approach that and then I'd love to hear from Pastor Danielle as well yeah well in general um, I guess I'd have to know more about the person in order to answer the question properly do I have to tell about people about Jesus there's a lot that's wrapped up in, in that question and it's not a question about doctrine or orthodoxy the right way to do thing, something as is a question that the individual is asking about the call to make disciples of all nations and what does that mean to them. So uh, I don't think that the answer to God's call to share the gospel is a one-size-fits-all method that we all should adhere to. Um, and we're going to talk more about that as we go through uh, today. But I guess my response to the question, do I have to tell people about Jesus, is to ask back, what do you, why do you think you have to tell people about Jesus? because that would surface, hopefully, uh, all sorts of information about their religious background, their understanding of some key evangelism passages in the Bible, uh, their theology, their experience with Jesus overall. And we all come to the table with baggage. And I know I bring my own when, when I speak with someone. So it can be important to figure out what those things might be as our conversation goes on. Yeah. Danielle, do you have anything to add to that or uh, other um, perspectives that? No, I, I think Pastor Mark has Pastor Mark is correct that we should be asking a question, right? Um, what does Jesus mean to you? What would you be sharing with somebody presuming um, that they're asking a question? What what question are they asking? You know, all of those kinds of things. I think that behind it is the idea that maybe some of us have. So years ago in my evangelical adjacent <laughs> life, um, I... I didn't grow up with the understanding that, you know, everybody had to say the prayer in order to get saved. But then when I started hanging out in different evangelical settings, I started getting asked that question. Like, when did you say the prayer? Did you say the prayer? Are you getting in? Like, how do we know that you're getting in? Mm -hmm. And so then I thought, oh, well, gee, you know, you start to feel that pressure of like, well, if I didn't get that person to save the prayer, say the prayer, are they going to burn forever? So I think sometimes behind the should I tell somebody about Jesus is the the desire or need to try to deal with our own guilt or responsibility or fear or concern regarding um, feeling bad for that, feeling responsible for that person's eternal destination. And I remember people like pastors and preachers in different conferences, like youth evangelism conferences saying like, how are you going to feel if you're standing next to Jesus as the people are coming in and then the person that you knew, and it would be like, I met them at the grocery store in the <laughs> passing and I didn't like uh, ambush them and say, do you know about Jesus? And they would like turn to you and as they like were being trailed away to the flames of death and hell, they'd look at you with these eyes like, why didn't you tell me, right? And I, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so awful. I don't want that to happen, right? So I think if it's in terms of, do I have to tell people about Jesus? Because what's really sitting behind that is I'm trying to avoid a feeling of responsibility mm. for their eternal salvation, mm. then that's weird. Or I want to brag about Jesus, like, hey, Jesus, look how many I got. I've got 12 more, like they're all coming in. It's like a notch, right? Like they were um, trying to... Yeah. It, that if that stuff's behind it, then that's complicated. And I think there's some um, questions that need to be asked about where does that come from and how, and is that healthy? Is it true? Um, what What is our motivation behind wanting to share? Yeah. I don't know if that. 
No, I think that's really helpful. Cindy, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Just want to make sure I didn't leave you out of the opening question. No, I think that um, Pastor Mark and Daniel covered that beautifully. Yeah, I think what's important for us, and the reason why that question is is the top question rather than just diving into the theology, is we are trying to create a community or create a culture within our community that interrogates the questions that we ask to make sure that we're actually addressing not just the the brute question itself, but we're addressing all of the story, you know, as City has taught us so well, the story, the religious baggage, our history, our, the assumptions, our biases, all of that stuff is, as, you know, Pastor Mark mentioned, uh, the baggage that comes with these questions. So to you, Sparkers, um, it is our encouragement to you that we also take that into consideration as we go through this next segment of actually dealing with, okay, here's what the biblical passages are, here's what they say, because even as we go through, we're going to hit 1 Corinthians 9 and Matthew 28, the Great Commission, and all these things that do tell us about the evangelism, the spreading of this good news. For many of our sparkers, just even that word evangelism can bring so much connotation to it, and we want to make sure that we also interrogate what we bring uh, with that as well. Yeah, I, I think just terms and even questions, we always talk about what's the what's behind the question, what's the yeah. thing behind the thing. Um, as N.T. Wright reminds us, some of these terms can walk in with a whole bunch of suitcases, so the, the terminology or the word comes with its own unpacking that is necessary. Yeah. If, if somebody said, do I have to tell people about Jesus or why should I tell somebody about Jesus, I think my my bigger question back to that person would be, do you get to, right? Like, I mean, are you excited about telling anybody about Jesus? What do you love about Jesus? And Because I think that I remember in times of getting very deeply so excited, and I am a pastor, right? Like I kind of <laughs> wanted professionally to do this, um, to tell people the Jesus story. It was something like, I was so excited about it. It was, uh, you know, his word is burning in within me. It's a fire and I'm weary of keeping it in. Paul says like, I'm excited to share this with somebody, not because I'm trying to control where they go in eternal destiny or control my own responsibility of guilt or guilt, but I'm excited because because the story, Jesus is just so good, right? Yeah. And so that would be a different shift too. Yeah. How do we reframe the story yeah. or the question rather? Yeah. Okay, let's start with 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And Sidney, I'm going to go to you. Uh, even so, so that's one, what we just did there is one piece that we want to make sure that we hold within the context of how we navigate this question. Now we're going to shift to the what does the Bible actually say? What are the biblical mandates and teachings from which the question ultimately derives theologically? And 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is one of them. Sidney, can you share with us a, maybe a quick summary of what 1 Corinthians Perfect. chapter 9 is and kind of your take and interpretation and understanding of the mandate or the teachings? And then I know, Pastor Mark, you have some thoughts and reflections as well. Of course. Um, so I think, Kevin, First Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 9 is in some ways a microcosm of what I think Paul preaches throughout the course of the New Testament, right, in terms of his perspective on evangelism. And I think his general thesis, and then we can get to this passage, is that, like, of course, as Christians, we want to talk about Jesus, just like Pastor Danielle gets excited about it and wants to share it with, share Jesus with as many people as possible. But I think what Paul makes uh, very clear throughout, you know, the course of his ministry is that if we're going to do that, um, then we better be walking in people's journeys with them side by side with unconditional love, mm -hmm. grace, compassion, and deep care, right? So in uh, the Corinthians, Corinthians passage in specific, uh, we hear language like, I have become a Jew so that I may win Jews. I have become a weak, I have become weak so that I may win the weak, right? I have become all things to all people so that in all ways or by all means, I might save some. And I think that to me, in like the most beautiful and powerful of ways really does encompass um, Paul's uh, like general theme throughout his ministry of realizing that if we're going to talk to people about Jesus, then it means following along with them in their context, in their culture, in the things that they care about. And I think that that sort of uh, happens throughout the course of the book of Acts, right? Where Paul goes into the synagogue with fellow Jews when he's preaching the gospel. And, uh, you know, Paul himself doesn't strip him strip himself of his Jewishness when it comes to um, 
the course of his ministry, right? He still uh, prays in the temple and observes Jewish holidays and abides by certain Jewish food customs. And so I think that the arc that we see is if we are going to talk about Jesus, and of course we want to as Christians, then let's do it from a place of deep understanding and deep compassion and deep grace and most of all, unconditional love uh, for the people who we're trying to minister to. Yeah, I think that's such an important point, right? Because I, I think we've all had conversations with a variety of different people where we can tell that the person on the other end is just in it for some result. Right. So they're not really interested in us or in our life or how we're making things work, but they're they're in it for a result. Like, I'm only going to be friends with you if, you know, these if I can sell you my Cutco knives or I can convince you to follow Jesus. Right. Right. Like there's like some sort yeah. of end game and that you can, the other person on can tell that the relationship is conditional. Like, are you are, are we willing, really willing and wanting to be in relationship with the person that we're having the conversation with, whether or not they ever decide to follow Jesus or, or some sort of, you yeah. know, in, I think Pastor Mark has something to yeah, say on this. Yeah, Mark. Well, on, on that specific idea, um, yeah, we we turn our desire to share the gospel into a project. Yeah. And so people enter our mm-hmm. projects, and we work with them, and until they don't pan out, in which case we move on to the next project. And so that becomes a huge problem when we're trying to communicate God's love, because it does sound like God's love is conditional. I'm your friend as long as we're talking about Jesus and as long as you don't accept him. Mm. If you choose not to uh, become a part of this family, then you're no longer part of this project, and I can't. I'm not going to spend my time with you, which is completely the opposite of what God calls us to do. Um Danielle, Kevin, you guys have both worked in ministry with youth, and you understand, and we've talked about this before, the idea that someone belongs before they believe is so critical to connecting with people. And youth ministries are very good at this because kids don't know what they understand. Like, they're still developing their own understanding of life, much less God and how they fit into everything. And so saying someone should believe before they, they belong into the system, into the community, into the culture, it's like saying, you know, I, I need you to you know, right. buy this Subway sandwich before I will, you know, check off your button or, you know, your, your little clip off thing. So I think what, what a lot of churches, including ours sometimes, what we, we fail to do is we for, for, forget that the goal is people belong to God's community. And then we talk to them about what it, it what this community is, what brings us together, uh, what are the common uh, beliefs, common, common values that we hold. And um, when we don't do that, things kind of go badly. Yeah, and I was just going to add yeah. to that, Pastor Mark, that like in, I think that the world we're in right now, we've sort of equated like respect for other faiths or respect for other religions to agreement, right? Where, well, if I respect mm, someone, right. then I have to agree with them. And I think that um, that's uh, something that we have to start reframing for ourselves, right? Because engaging with people of other faiths and talking about the person of Jesus, like to me, the classic example is uh, uh, the Acts, Acts 17 speech at the Areopagus. Yes. And the reason why I love that passage so much um, whenever I read Acts is because Paul is walking into this audience of Athenians who have a completely different worldview from him in every way imaginable, right? Their religion, their politics, their economics, their uh, uh, philosophy, everything. And instead of coming into that audience with the perspective of, well, I'm just going to convert you and tell you all about why Jesus is so much better than everything you believe and try to strip you of your culture, what Paul does is he comes in with a deep understanding and intricate like uh, perception of what matters to them, what they value, and uh, fundamentally valuing their dignity as people, right? And it's really from that point forward that he's able to even push them forward and compel them with um, the message of Jesus. So I think that he doesn't agree with everything the Athenians are doing, but he can still talk to them with that love and respect regardless of um, yeah. of the agreement. And that's what I think we're, we're missing a lot of today. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting uh, as you guys are talking um, for those of us who grew up in the church, who were, you know, very young and we've you know, matured. It's it's really kind of um, an exercise in some level of hypocrisy, because as you were mentioning, Pastor Mark, you know, we we're children and we belong. We're just part of the family. And then we grow in our theology or we grow in our understanding through the time that we spend as a, a member of that community. And then we get to a certain level where we're taught, you know, these evangelism courses or, you know, we got to get people converted, all these things that we're talking about. And we demand of them to reach to this level 
of affirmation before belonging. Um, so the, the, a little sense of self-awareness, I think, might be warranted. I, warranted I was only just going to add that sometimes, too, even this framing, like, can you belong before you believe? I would just add, you belong whether or not you ever believe. Mm. Because yep. the belonging before you believe presumes, again, some sort of end result that this person will have and that, you know, will... I imagine that there could be an exhaust, an exhaustion of that grace that you want to extend to that person if you feel like they have not chosen to believe in the time frame that you've wanted, right? Yeah. Um, so, I, I just there's a, a challenge in that moment. And just right? get a couple yeah. things in here. Regina said, "Well said, Sidney, Lori. This is so helpful. Oh, if I can get this, oh, I got to remove from broadcaster. Lori says this is so <laughs> helpful. Allison's like big." applause at Pastor Mark. And then Regina, the uh, passage in Acts chapter 17 is the passage where Paul goes into Athens. So were you going to go somewhere? Because I was going to ask them the next follow-up question. Um, just didn't want to cut you off. No, I, w I mean, just in terms of belonging, whether or not you ever believe, it just, a lot of this individual faith pursuit, as we've talked about before, is not the primary voice that we see in the Gospels or in the rest. I mean, it's much more communal. So I'm reminded of the passage in Acts chapter 10, where it talks about Cornelius. And it's like Cornelius and all of his household are saved. And it, and it's the whole community that Cornelius is a part of. And I, you know, when you hear that, you think, oh, but did they talk to that person and that person and that person? Remember, they all made like individual proclamations of faith in Jesus? Or is it communal? Right? Like, how, how do these things happen? I'm, I'm not suggesting that there isn't a place and a benefit for an individual decision to follow Jesus. Absolutely. I think that that is important and that something miraculous happens in those moments. But I also think that we have to contend with the fact that a lot of our faith, our texts from the Hebrew scriptures into the Christian New Testament is given to a community and communities yes. responded as well as individuals responded. So it's okay for us to be um, extending that belonging to larger households than only just the one person that you write. We can extend this faith community and be brothers and sisters um, in these contexts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. To Sidney and Pastor Mark, you both work in high tech. And uh, this last Wednesday, uh, Sidney, uh, you and Pastor Omer shared really beautifully about uh, the wrestling of uh, being a Christian in high tech in Silicon Valley. And I would just love to hear your guys' comments because we got a, a ton of sparkers who are in the exact same situation that you are. You, you're, you're living, you're working, many people in management uh, positions in very well-known companies around this area. I would love to hear your reflections on what all of what we just said about um, you know, not commodifying and not wanting, wanting to make sure that there's this relational and caring about somebody belonging. How does that work within the context of where you guys work? Help our sparkers understand and navigate uh, that. What insights would you have for us? Yeah, sure. Should I go first, Mark? <laughs> cool. All right. I have, so I have two thoughts, right? I think the, the first is that you know, I find it exponentially harder to talk about or bring up faith in the context of work um, than it is to bring up any number of other like deeply personal and polarizing topics that you could also argue should be kept out of the workplace, right? Politics, economics, education decisions, housing decisions, all of the above. And I think there are a couple reasons for that. Um, first, Pastor Romero's talked about this before. Faith is identity forming. Mm -hmm in a way that a lot of those other things that I just referenced aren't, right? And um, when something is very identity forming, your defenses are higher and it's hard to bring it up in a way that always feels safe. Yeah. So from the perspective of me, a Christian at work, I'm like, man, uh, this is such an important part of my life. Like, I'm just too scared to talk about it because people are gonna judge me. And on the other side, there are people who've had very real traumatic, hurtful experiences um, in the faith or who have heard stories of mm -hmm. hurtful, traumatic experiences in the faith, where um, there's so much baggage associated with it, coupled with the identity formation, that it's just hard, right? So as much as I wish that tomorrow morning in my team meeting, when everyone's talking about what they could do over the weekend, I could say that I spent Sunday with my church family talking about evangelism, <laughs> I definitely probably will not do that. Um, <laughs> But I was just going to, I read an article in Quartz magazine, um, this was a couple of months ago, and someone had written this article about Christians at tech companies, and they sort of 
posited this really interesting theory that I would love to get all of your thoughts on. Um, and the author said, you know, one reason why it may be so hard to talk about the person of Jesus in Silicon Valley is because technologists have essentially created a world where they have promised tech workers that you can have huge impact on the world at uh, no personal cost to mm. yourself, mm. right? Um, so you are just keystrokes away or a software solution away from tackling like every major existential threat we face in the world, whether that's poverty or the environment, um, like educational inequality, all of the above. And, you know, technologists refer to themselves as evangelizers of their ideas mm -hmm. on a mission uh, to change the world. And it really is fascinating because the person of Jesus does not right. say that, right? The person of Jesus asks us, tells us in no unclear terms that bringing the kingdom of God on earth does involve a sacrifice. It does come at a personal cost. Yeah. It does require us cross. to be right, uncomfortable and make decisions that may yeah. lose us, right? Friends or family or um, like social capital. And so he sort of says that the tension between a world that says that you can impact everybody and everything while sitting behind your computer and right. continuing to have your stock test with no personal consequence to yourself with the calling that Jesus, um, th what Jesus calls us to is just such a fundamental challenge and mm. it makes it really hard in fact, to bring up something that feels so counter to the world we've been used to. Mm. Yeah. It's really amazing. Yeah. Mark? Yeah, I, I guess related to that, um, you gotta get your hands dirty. If you're really going to be making connections, like talking about your faith and having people talk to you about their faith, it has to be a two-way street. Mm -hmm. And so it, it can't be like like Sidney was saying, like you're from on high or behind a screen making all these changes to the world. You have to get your hands dirty. You have to know who people are. You have to know the experiences that are they're experiencing in order to actually know or have a realistic expectation of understanding where they're coming from. Um, well, for me. Um, I've been in tech for 21 years, and I've done different things at work. I've had Bible studies, small groups, prayer meetings. Kevin's come over. We talked about, in, in the cafeteria and talked about whether chaplaincy is a necessary thing for a tech company. So we've, we've done these things. Uh, we tried a company-wide Christian fellowship. It didn't quite pan out the way we wanted. Uh, our company isn't very uh, receptive towards faith-based, uh, uh, what do you call them? Employee resource groups, ERGs. And so... Most of the ones that we have with us are ethnic or cultural or gender-based. People are comfortable with those, but faith is still something that's kind of held at arm's length. Mm -hmm. And so when I interact with somebody at work and, you know, maybe the topic of religion comes up, I have to understand a couple of things. It's basically, as we started, you have to start asking questions. Like, who's the person I'm speaking with? And what's my relationship with them? And what's my understanding of their faith background? Like, what do I come to the table with? And love your love God and love your neighbors always in play. So you have to speak with them with that in mind. If they're not feeling comfortable with the conversation, then maybe we don't have it. But if they are willing to address it, then maybe we can, you know, as we move forward with this relationship, it, we can figure out where we're headed with this. Um, mm. And there's actually a, a couple of, groups out there that have tried to do this. Uh, one being uh, our former colleague, Roy Tinklenberg. He has a ministry called Faith and the, the Faith and yeah. Work Movement. Yeah. And it's connected with a whole bunch of larger Silicon Valley companies, also some startups. And he's trying to, you know, try to go international as well. But a lot of it is basically uh, bringing Christians together at different companies to share prayer and ideas about how to be mm -hmm. Jesus's hands and feet at work. And it's never one size fits all. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember that when we were starting Spark eight years ago, one of the reasons why we said we wanted to start Spark, which is that we are a Christian church and we are telling people about Jesus, right? And trying to be disciples of Jesus and f so followers very specifically of the way imitating Christ's life in this in this place. And we used to say it, and Mark, you were part of these conversations as well as we were starting. It's like we wanted to get Jesus a seat at the table in Silicon Valley. Like we thought that the way and the ethics of Jesus mattered and it did change how we would make decisions in whatever job or place of influence or role that we might have. So, Sidney, back to your earlier conversation and the article you were referencing, right? Um, it Being a follower of Jesus in a context where you are making a, a chip or an app or whatever, if you asked in that setting, does what I'm doing 
love God and love my neighbor and love even people I might consider othered or who are distance far away, then, then how we source that chip, how we make the decisions, it changes, right? Because we've asked this ethical question, this way of Jesus that puts people who are marginalized and vulnerable at the center of our conversation because of who Jesus is and because of how he's commanded us and taught us, um, because we've decided to follow him and be his disciples, it makes that how we do all that different. It should at least. It shouldn't be something that says, well, I'll just look the other way as I watch um, racism happened in the workplace or misogyny happened in the workplace or, um, you know, the the oppression or exploitation of persons in different places all over the world as we source garments or, or chips or, you know, and all the minerals that are involved in that. Instead, we start to ask different questions. And I know that some of those ethics might seem like you don't have to have them attached to a Jesus faith or a Christian faith. And, and that's true. I'm not suggesting at all that there aren't ethics that are shared in, in the other monotheistic faiths or other faith expressions. But there is something um, very unique, as Tom Holland, historian, has talked about and others, that regarding these ethics of Christianity that start to put forward humility and vulnerability and marginalized as something that should be lifted up. Yeah. And that in laying down your life for others, there is is um, love and and hope and glory to be found. I think that this is what, when I talk about what should I tell people about Jesus, I'm like, yeah, because it changes, it should change at least how we live and the decisions we make in whatever spheres and influences we have. Yeah, um, this is a shout out to our Wednesday night group that gets together uh, as a follow up from these Sundays because we have been uh, we've been able to discuss a little bit more in depth the historical trajectory of Christianity's influence. And so like even uh, you're talking about Silicon Valley wanting to do something amazing and good and beneficial in the world uh, most likely has its uh, roots, its heritage in the Christian story of all those things that Daniel just mentioned. Uh, Allison, I got your question. We're going to. Uh, we're going to get to that. I want to ask really quickly, um, one of the passages that uh, uh, informs us. <laughs> Omer, <laughs> comment. Oh, Tom gosh. Holland, great historian, not to be confused with Tom Holland, great Avenger. Yes. True. Yes. Excellent. Okay. Well, let's, let's put that in the broadcast <laughs> just to make sure nobody is confused. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> in case yeah. there might be some British confused. historian Tom Holland. What was his most recent book on Rome? I, he wrote the... Oh, I was going to say oh. Spider-Man, but you're asking me oh, a different question. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Tom Holland wrote Dominion. Yes. Um, that's his book, and we can give you a reference to that later if you're interested. Um, really quickly, <laughs> uh, Matthew 28 is what is famously known in Christian circles as the Great Commission. Go into all the world, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. I would love to hear the three of you give a brief summary. What does that passage mean to you, given all the things that we've just mentioned, um, the approach, the philosophy, the, you know, the evangelical baggage. What does that, how do we read that passage now and understand that? Because that is, that is still a commission. I mean, I don't, I don't think we have to not call it a great commission. It is a commission to go into the world and make disciples. So give us a quick summary of that. And then we'll get to Allison's question. Mm -hmm. And then if you, anybody else has a question that they want to post to the YouTube comments, we'll, we'll try to get there. So uh, Pastor Mark, can I start with you? As I pull up the scripture to make sure I get it right. Uh, <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> okay. So Real quick, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So just the, if anybody's not really familiar with that verse. Thank you. Uh, first of all, yes, I agree, Kevin. Um, this is something that we are all called to do. Um, I think the Bible is filled with lots of different ideas and concepts within it, and not everything in the Bible is a precedent, not everything in the Bible is commandment. Some of these things are suggestions, some of these things are uh, best case scenarios. This one, I believe, would be along the lines of commandment, where God is clearly telling us to go and, and share. Um, the first thing that jumps out, which most people, uh, as I think Kevin and Danielle and Sidney probably talked about at some point, uh, the verse, some doubted. They saw him in worship yeah. and some doubted. And so I, it's kind of a call to say, we are called as followers of Jesus 
to share the gospel, the good news about who Jesus is, regardless of whether we are we feel capable or regardless of whether we actually are, we feel our faith is strong enough. So I think sometimes we'll like, well, that's for people that are you know, strong in the faith, not someone like me. No, we're all called to talk about Jesus in our words and in our deeds. Um, the second part, it says, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Now, for all the Greek nerds out there, the word go isn't actually go. It's actually aorist, passive, deponent, participle. I know. Yes! <laughs> but it's having gone, mm-hmm. make disciples of all nations. So that suggests that yes. you've already been sent. Nice. You've already been called. You're already out there doing these things. So the next part, make disciples of all nations, doesn't necessarily mean you go to the nations. The nations are around you. This is Jesus speaking to other Jewish people saying, go speak to the Gentiles among us and give us the good, give them the good news about me. It's not just go out and do that, that you know, become an itinerant preacher or you know, become a tent maker in, in Burma. That's not necessarily the call for all of us. And so I think that when we read this verse, sometimes those other things kind of get tied up into it. And I'm not going to go into this now, but I think that we have a problem with Paul and how we interpret what he did. Yeah. We often mm. look to yeah. him as the archetype yeah. of everything. Yeah. Nice. And sometimes we don't recognize that Paul is a specific person for a specific time with specific giftings. And mm. not all of us have those good things. And not all of us have that calling. And he's not infallible. But we look at Paul. Exactly. Right. It, oh, well, we're not going to talk about that either. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but Paul, we, we look at Paul and we kind of glom onto him and we turn him into a, a hero where he's not intended to be a hero. He's intended to be another example, uh, another way to serve God that not all of us are called to do specifically. Right. Beautiful. Beautiful. Sydney. I love it. Yeah, I think that that was beautiful, Mark. Um, I would just add and say, I think that like our interpretation of of this passage has also very much been influenced by our Western Enlightenment version of the spread of Christianity, right? Um, And there's so much baggage around evangelism and what it means in the context of this passage. Uh, The theologian David Bosch, um, he famously said in his book that evangelism is mission, but mission is not merely evangelism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that that is beautiful and gets at what Pastor Mark was talking about, right? Where biblical evangelism isn't just going out and talking to people about Jesus or converting them because you're right. saving them from going to hell. Biblical evangelism is ministering to the sick, the needy, right. Right. the oppressed, right. the marginalized. Right. Biblical evangel- evangelism is understanding the context that your neighbor is in when you mm-hmm. are communicating with them and talking to them about Jesus. Um, and biblical evangelism transcends talking about Jesus at every stage, right? We see that throughout the New Testament. We see it throughout the history of what the early church did. And so I think for me, uh, I look at this passage and I'm like, yeah, for sure, we are called, just like Pastor Mark said. Um, but we are also called to operate in context. And we are called to understand that evangelism is more than just converting people. It's right. serving people at its most fundamental level. Right. Yeah, it does not say go make converts, right? It says go right. make disciples. And that context, as we've talked many, many, many times at Spark, is very specific to an imitation of the life of the rabbi and to do that in a community of other disciples who are trying to actually live out and obey, which is what Jesus says here, right? Teach them. So there's teaching to obey everything I've commanded, right? It's not um, teach them how to get into heaven. It's teach them how to live a life in such a way that the kingdom of heaven comes crashing down here on earth. Years ago, I remember trying to, it was in the height of the AIDS conference and I was having conversation with a, a fellow colleague and I said, oh my goodness, like we, we need to find a way to, to make a difference. There's these massive casualties happening around the world like let's try to figure it out and you know the the evangelicals that I was I was new into the context the the con the questions back were like well can we do it without talking about AIDS and I was like no no we we absolutely cannot do this without talking about the disease that needs to be attended to and this is a, a disease of poverty too it's not you know all these are complications and then it was like well let's look at some groups and I said well here's a group that's handing out food, handing out water, getting, you know, blankets into the hands of the kids, like getting food, like we're going to try to start. And they said, yeah, but are they presenting the gospel? I was like, 
but they are getting food, getting water, like handing out shelter, getting blankets, things. And they said, well, we won't do it unless they're presenting the gospel. I'm like, what? Through some like sort of awful puppet show that's like up and then if they will attend the the presentation of the gospel through this sinner's prayer thing and then they can get their food following and he just found that so anti-kingdom like it was it was it grated on me in very uncomfortable ways and um and it's just that's so challenging for me is how how can we start to remove what we as Christians have always said is like the unconditional love of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, that we are a faith, not of not of works, but of all of this grace. And yet we've attached all these constructs to our presentation of the good news um, with somebody else agreeing with us before they can sort of receive yeah. the, the beauty of Jesus. I, I just want to. Um, yeah, sorry. So I just. <laughs> I think we have a lot we could probably say about that, but but when we talk about sharing Christ with with people, it can be as simple as showing up. We have a friend who is in a um, in a this will be quick like a context where he is not allowed to really say that he's a Christian and he's trying to do all this all this work and need. And so some of his um, Christian supporters came and said, "But are you telling them about Jesus and are you presenting?" He said, "I believe that if we build the kingdom, people will look for the king." And I love that phrasing. Like we just, we start to do the good work and then people will start to ask the question, why? What is behind this? And have we since, and for me, it's always been either Jesus is real or he isn't. He doesn't need my help in trying to, the Holy Spirit is real and active or it isn't. It doesn't need my help to try to convince somebody of the miraculous presence of God and the, and the beauty and the love of Christ as this person is dearly loved, you know? Yeah. So it reminds me of when Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 takes the disciples to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He says, who do you say that I am? And some say, some say Elijah, some say the prophets, some say John the Baptist back from the dead. And Simon Peter answers, you are Messiah. Like you are Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies and says, blessed are you, Simon, son of a dove, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. That has been one of my favorite verses where I just go, listen, it is not my job to convince everybody that I meet that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. That is something that's revealed to that person by their father in heaven. My job is to follow Jesus. My job is to get dusty. My job is to imitate his way, to love, the, to take care of the hungry and the poor and the needy, to love my neighbor and my enemy as Christ loves them, to see each person I meet, to stand with the vulnerable and the marginalized, to find out who's suffering and dash to that place and stand with that person and then try to address the systems to prevent so that we can prevent that suffering from happening again. The way of Jesus is so clear to me and that's why I want to tell people about Jesus because it changes my life and changes how I live and changes my day um, and, and changes the world that we live in today. Like just build the kingdom and people can look for the king and Jesus can reveal that to that person. We just try to lean in and try to let the spirit th flow through us and let that just be true in the world, whether or not the person ever believes they belong and are loved by Jesus. You're getting a lot of amens, getting a lot okay. of amens. Oh, Pastor Mark. Can I write on that for a second? <laughs> Please. So two verses, number one, Jonah three, the whole chapter about, yes. about Jonah yes. speaking to the Nevites. Uh, then also first Corinthians three, we have Paul arguing with, with people saying, well, I follow Apollos, I follow Christ. It's like, it doesn't matter. Uh, what Paul says yeah. is I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Yeah. And with back going, going back to Jonah, Jonah said, you're all dead. <laughs> That's all he said. But the, <laughs> the entire city of Nineveh changed they all repented all of a sudden why it wasn't because of what jonah That's said right. god was speaking to them already yeah so all this is a reminder that we're not doing the work That's we're right. joining god in god's work oh, his amen. mission is to reconcile all people to yeah. himself it doesn't rely on us yes he's calling us to do this it is a, it's a privilege to do this and it's hard and it's sacrificial but it's not our work god's work we're piggybacking on him Beautiful. god and okay. we can't get in the way of it Right. Yes. We can cause pain in the way in which we but but you're absolutely right. Even then, I mean, God used a donkey in numbers. God can use us. 
right? Um, and the miraculous ways in which God rescues and redeems our poorest efforts, um, our most broken efforts, um, God can still use all of that. That doesn't mean we try, don't try to do better, um, but but you're right. It's just not dependent on us. Yeah. Uh, Pamela says, love this conversation, live your faith and love as Jesus loved. Often when people know you care for them and issues impacting them, it opens the door for conversations and mm -hmm. sharing. Um, Pastor Tom uh, mentioned, I find that my coworkers uh, like to do what Jesus did and does help the poor and fight for justice. That leads to good conversations. <laughs> Rajesh is asking, how did the great commission, how did that commission become great? Does anybody have a good answer for that? I have done zero research on this. <laughs> it, it, a group of editors for the, <laughs> we could try, we have to find out the first editors that decided to put headings, not just chapter and verse markings, but headings into the text, yeah. right? And I think it's important to, uh, part, part of the deal is that there was a greatness, that there was a segment of Christianity that popped up with all of these formulas we are live. <laughs> popped up with all these for <laughs> yeah. We popped up with all these formulas for how to um, make Christianity, um, you know, accessible to a lot of people. And so, like four spiritual laws pops up in this time, and the word great commandment. The word great is in that passage of commandment in Matthew uh, twenty-two and Mark twelve. You know, the, the the commandment that we say every single week, and people also then use that word great to apply to the commission at the end of Matthew twenty-eight as these two big pushes that they saw. So that's my best guess, but Rajesh, I don't have a really good historical answer for you. Okay, we've got one more question from Allison because we want to be respectful of time. Uh, and let, actually, let me see if I can do this real quick. I'm going to put this in if this will work. Okay, it's not going to work. Um, <laughs> do uh, Allison asks, do you often feel like you have to completely remove yourself, your faith, slash your faith from American Christianity to really talk about who God, Jesus is, and what he means to you. How do we talk to people who are jaded from Christianity without completely throwing out our sometimes tumultuous traditions and history? That's a beautiful question. Allison, I am very grateful that that's not something that I had to deal with, right? Um, I, I read the Gospels. I didn't grow up in a Christian family like we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. And so when I read the Gospels for the first time and encountered the person of Jesus, it was the purest, most beautiful, most powerful example of love and action that I have ever seen. And it stood in such contrast to anything that I had heard about Jesus from, you know, American media um, and anything that I had seen in practice. I think that that said, it still is hard because baggage is real. Um, and I think the way that I think about it is that if we just go back to the very roots, right, and we fast, we just backtrack um, to the time of Jesus and what he was trying to do, we can almost always find the answers in the Gospels. We can almost always find something that Jesus said or something that Jesus did um, that really does shatter like so many of the perceptions that people have today of what Christianity means and what it's supposed to do in the world. And so that's what I kind of always go back to, just Jesus. Jesus, the person of Jesus in the Gospels, and who he was and what he meant and what he did. And that always, to me, is just the purest example of uh, the power of what that message has. All right. Pastor Mark, Pastor Danielle, 60 seconds each. Okay, uh, shoot. Okay, quick, <laughs> quick question. Or sorry, quick story. So tech parlance, what we do is we carry the Christian brand wherever we go. It just happens. Mm. People will see it on us because if we're trying to uh, live as Jesus did, walk as Jesus walked, and the love is just pouring out of us, people start to see it. Um, this is not going to make myself a hero, but this is just a story. A few years ago, one of my coworkers came out as a transgendered female. And our boss decided to have a little get-together at work to celebrate and embrace the new identity. So we treated it like it was her birthday. And we had cake and champagne, and we had well wishes from all these colleagues. And two members of our group who were Christian decided not to take part because they felt it was uh, a rubber stamp. It was approving of this person's lifestyle, which they didn't agree with. But I decided to take part because free cake and champagne you know like i'm, I'm just in it you know it, it wasn't a second thought to it i just so i do what i usually do which is i i cut up the cake I, I served it out plated it uh poured the champagne handed it over and then stuck to the wall like a wallflower and let everything kind of happen and so that all happened later that week um my boss talked to me he said she said that she heard from one of the directors who has a really really tough relationship with christianity his family has been tough um 
and not accepting of his own his own lifestyle. And so he told my boss, um, did you see that Mark was serving cake and pouring champagne for her? I don't know what that was, but that's the kind of Christian that I can mm. appreciate. Mm -hmm. And it got me because there was so much pain that this person yeah. had experienced. And then me doing something so simple and stupid as serving cake was a, was a sign that yeah. God's love can look different than what I had seen in the past. And so when we're talking about making this separation between yeah. um, American Christianity and everything else, um, kind of like Sidi said, introduce the person to the Jesus that you know. Because yeah. mm. you fell in love with him first. And so you want other people to fall in love with him too. Introduce that person to them. That's beautiful. Amen. Um, I would just say, I think it's important to continue to interrogate our assumptions about American Christianity or about Christianity and our roles in different systems that have been abusive, toxic, and actually um, lack congruency with the Jesus we meet in the gospels, right? So it's important for all of us to continue to ask those questions and also important for us to recognize that American Christianity is like that in terms of overall arching church yep. history, uh, Christian history, as well as um, the history of our faith going back to, you know, Adam and Eve, to Noah, to Abraham. There's much more than just this moment. Um, and so, yes, there are things we should repent for. There are places and ways in which particularly white Christians have been complicit in structures of, you know, racial oppression, anti-Semitism, misogyny, patriarchy. There's all the things that Spark talks about, you know, Islamophobia, homophobia, etc. All the things we've talked about um, that we continue to try to interrogate. But we also have to remember that there have been story after story after story, like Pastor Mark has just shared, that don't get hit the news. Um, that the, the churches, I don't know if you've noticed, churches like Spark aren't hitting the news. And there are a lot more of us than we know of. So don't let the choice by American media um, to, and I'm not trying to be that person, but just hold with me for a second. Like, don't let the perceptions of American Christianity that are popular in our culture today, through however means it comes, through media or movies or whatever, um, don't let that be the thing that hijacks the story of Jesus, right? And instead, if I had somebody coming to me saying, oh, I don't like that and that and that, I think you could probably say, I don't like that either. That is not the Jesus that I know. The Jesus that I've met in the gospels looks quite different. And if you'd like to read about it, I would love to just sit and ask questions with you as we've read each one. Yeah. And I'm not suggesting that you do that because you're trying to convince anybody of anything, but simply so that there's a, a agreed upon information that is gonna be presented in this in the Gospel of Matthew, say, where you, you have to wrestle with it, good, bad, and ugly, and touch base. And I think that is something that is not actually portrayed very commonly in our national conversation about American Christianity. American Christianity is much more diverse, too, even today and even in the last 50 years, than what is being expressed yeah. within this only one sliver of maybe right-wing evangelical Christianity that we might be contending with today. Um, there are Anglicans, Episcopalians, Lutherans, Catholics, Baptists, Protestants, non-denominationals who do not meet in that mold. And we can find a lot of commonality in, in the good news of Jesus with, within all of those settings. Yeah. Well, friends, yeah. this has been incredibly rich. Pastor Mark Sidi, thank you so much. Pastor Danielle, thank you so much for joining us. And really, honestly, thank you to all of you. Um, I know I didn't get to all of the comments. It's just the nature of the biz, as you know, but we're so appreciative. We're reading them and, and watching you and, and interact. And we're so, so tremendously grateful to the entire Spark community for Amen. your contributions and, and uh, interactions. We're going to turn towards communion and we're going to closing song and some announcements for you. Um, and just a reminder that this ceremony that we do every single week is a reminder of this good news that we want to share uh, the embodiment uh, in this symbol so i hope you have your elements with you for in the night in which he was betrayed our lord jesus <laughs> took the bread blessed and broke it giving it to his disciples saying take eat this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me and likewise after supper he took the cup gave thanks and gave it to them saying drink this all of you this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you so much, friends. All are welcome at this table.